up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. Season 4, Episode 1. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Restory Conference on September 16th at Lake Point Church in Rockwall, Texas. I really hope you can come. Um, I wanted to issue a quick apology to those of you who I gave you a code to get $20 off the Restory Conference. And unfortunately, I'd only set it to um, one person being able to receive it. So now I've upped that. And so if you've tried in the past to get to the Restory Conference for a little bit cheaper, $30 instead of $50, try this again. So the code to use is podcast. So you can go to restoryconference.us and click on the early bird ticket and do that before the 8th of September because that is going to change and it will move from $50 to $75. Click that early bird ticket and then click enter promotional code. That's right. And enter the promotional code podcast and that will give you a very extreme discount. But do that right away because on September 8th, the price goes up. And I'm really looking forward to the Restory Conference. We're going to have a lot of stories, uh, including my own, but also some people that you've heard on the Restory podcast and some that you haven't. And if you want to check out an episode about two episodes ago, uh, you can hear some sneak peeks of what those people are going to talk about. All right. So I would just really appreciate it if you could spread the word about this stories that were here on the Restory Show. If you can review and share them, it will help expand the reach of this podcast and uh, help get those powerful messages into people's hands. So if you'd like to be on the Restory Show, and we'll have a little bit of a clip of someone that shared their story today at the end, simply go to marriedmute.com and on the right-hand side, there'll be a little microphone. Uh, Click on that and share your own four-minute story. So today, I am welcoming myself to the Restory Show, and we did this in in, uh, season three, so I'm starting off season four in the same way. I was on a podcast with Julie Slattery called Java with Julie. And she agreed to give me the files, or she actually just gave them to me. And so I'm going to start off with just sharing a little bit more about my story. Many of you have heard it before, but she asked some really great questions. And I think that you will have further insight into what is it like to heal in the aftermath of something pretty hard. So without further ado, here is me with Julie Slattery. Welcome to Job with Julie. This is Julie Slattery, and I'm talking today with Mary DeMuth. And Mary, you are in Dallas, Texas, so I couldn't have like legit coffee with you. So we're doing this <laughs> over the internet. We're having some cyber coffee, cyber tea. Yeah. Are you a coffee drinker? <laughs> I'm a tea drinker. So um, sorry, I can't have Java with you, but I can have some Earl Grey, so that'll work. That's good. I would say probably about a third of my guests don't share my love for coffee, and that's all right. <laughs> so we can pass that. I can't. Yeah, so I've got to uh, tell a story about how I first became aware of you and your ministry and uh, just what the Lord was doing in your life. It was probably like, I'm going to say three years ago, um, Linda Dill and I had created a Bible study called Passion Pursuit. And it's really about um, sexual intimacy in marriage, how to overcome barriers, you know, how to seek passion in marriage. And about that time when it came out, I read something that you had written for Christianity Today for hermeneutics, and it was, I think the title was something like, I don't want to hear about your smoking hot wife. 
And we had <laughs> yes. used we had used in Passion Pursuit, like I had called the Song of Solomon lady the smoking hot mama. And so when I saw that, it was like, oh my goodness, you know, did I offend somebody? And I immediately wanted to know kind of what was behind that because the last thing we want to do is is pour salt in a wound or you know, sure. this is already such a difficult topic. So I read your blog and, and did some research on you and, and you taught me. So um, mm. from that time, again, that was like three years ago, I wanted to interview you. You never seem to come through Colorado Springs. So I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad we can uh, talk over the internet now. But can you start by just telling me a little bit about what drove you to write that blog and what's behind it? Yeah, so I think on that particular one, and I was really grateful for Christianity Today to give me a voice on that. It it was kind of around that time where pastors were thanking God for their smoking hot wives, and uh, so there. And it's not. I'm. I they actually came up with the title for that blog post. So that wasn't my title, but I was just kind of in that phase of my own journey of healing where I was just getting so tired of the high expectations of, of women sexually in marriage. And that especially when someone from the pulpit is calling their wife that, at least for me as a sexual abuse victim, it, it, it re-encourages it re that metaphor or that story that um, a woman is really what she looks like, and that's all she is. And uh, as one who has struggled so much with my identity and, you know, as a sexual abuse victim, thinking wrongly that my worth is tied to how I look, um, it, it just rubbed me the wrong way. And so my hope in writing that article was just to help people have more empathy for the men and women in the pew who are silently struggling. And I'm so grateful for you know, places like what you're doing and podcasts like yours, because it's just starting finally to be talked about. Whereas mm -hmm. when I was trying to heal from all this muck, it wasn't talked about. And I just kind of had to, you know, make my way through in the dark. But I'm so grateful that you're giving a voice to sexual abuse victims in the midst of something very important like sexual intimacy and marriage. So that was kind of the background of that post. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good to hear. Um, you know, our listeners will know that Sexual abuse wasn't my a part of my story, but sexual intimacy in marriage has been very difficult over the 23 years that I've been married now um, for other reasons. And uh, I think it's pretty common for one reason or another for, I think, particularly women to struggle with this, um, whether it is trauma from the past or it's physical problems or betrayal or porn use uh, or guilt and shame from the past or even just the wrong kind of teaching that comes from the pulpit um, about making sexuality simplistic or making it feel dirty somehow. So uh, I appreciate you giving voice to not just the principles, but we need story and we need real people kind of sharing, this is what I've been through and this is how I've uh, journeyed towards recovery and healing. So thanks for doing that. Well, I appreciate that. And I think another thing that came into play for me, and I think this is pretty common for Christian women, is that, you know, before marriage, sex was a big fat no-no. And I'm sure you've talked about this on your show before. And then suddenly on one day, it's a big fat yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's really, whether you've been abused or not, it's really hard to change that mindset of this is dirty versus this is sanctified and beautiful. And 
um, if you have sexual abuse in your past or porn or, you know, just some of those other regrets, sexual regrets, um, it's very hard to make that like one. It's it. I don't think it does happen like you're zero percent and then you're hundred percent the next day. I think we've kind of. Uh, you know, not helped uh, people who are getting married by kind of having these expectations that suddenly they're going to be like awesome in the bed and yeah. and okay with it. It's just it's a gradual change. Yeah, that's pretty discouraging when um, when you have this anticipation that God's going to heal everything in a moment. And now that you're yeah. married, this yeah. is a wonderful thing. I, boy, a lot of a lot of couples are really disappointed and don't get over that disappointment. Uh, they don't have mm-hmm. the long view of it. Um, yeah, I'm going to go back to what you wrote in your blog about, hey, stop talking about sexuality in this way. And if you would, how would you encourage Christian leaders and pastors to talk about sexuality? Because I'm guessing that you don't want them to be quiet on it either. So what no. is the right tone to be addressing the importance of sex and marriage and how you build it? That's a really good question. And I don't know if I have a concrete answer, but I will say the word tenderly. I just feel like this is such a sacred and holy act that for us to cheapen it with cheap language um, kind of buys into how our culture views sex, you know, just how Hollywood views sex. And so I like what some folks like Tim Keller are doing and, and you know, some of these other um, marriage authors out there who are just kind of bringing it back to Gary Thomas, you know, like this mm-hmm. intimacy, this beauty, this mystery. I would love to hear it more talked about as um you know, a mystical union or, you know, it kind of sounds woo woo, but uh, just very tenderly. And also just from my perspective, and again, I'm, you know, this is my perspective, but as a sexual abuse victim, um, you know, and I, I don't like to call myself a victim anymore, but just for the sake of the audience to understand where I came from, uh, to not to to place similar expectations on both men and women because mm. i feel like sometimes it's up to and maybe it's just because i'm a woman but it's up to the woman to perform or to always say yes and to always be available and not to ever exercise her no and so i think there needs to be more discussion and more contemplation and talk about you know, when a no, what is a no in marriage and what is rape in marriage and what does it look like? And, you know, I grew up, I did not grow up in the church, but when I was in the church finally, and I met the Lord and started going to church, I kind of got this idea that if I ever said no, um, I was, I was sinning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so all of this pain came in the first part of my marriage because, I just wasn't ready. I wasn't, you know, every time I said yes, I felt like I was violated and it wasn't his fault. I said yes, but yeah. I felt like I had to. And I didn't, and as a sexual abuse victim, my no was very weak and uh, was not, I was afraid to say it. And so the older I've gotten in marriage, you know, 26 years now, I'm able to say no without guilt. And Mm -hmm. that I think has just been growth, but it's just not talked about a lot about Mm -hmm. that. You can say no and, and it's okay. And that's what is part of being married is him loving your no as much as he loves your yes. And to understand where you're coming from now, you don't use it as a weapon and all of those things. And there's scripture about, you know, not forsaking your assembling together, so to speak. 
speak sexually, you know, but to, you know, go away for a time and come back together. Of course, that's all within what I'm trying to say, but Mm -hmm. uh, I need to be able to respect his no, and he needs to be able to respect my no. Yeah, that's put so well. And you're absolutely right. We don't talk about that very often. Um, You know, I'm just actually preparing to speak at a marriage conference this weekend. And I was thinking about some of these concepts and thinking about the fact that sexual intimacy or sexuality in marriage is it's it can never be a neutral. You know, it's always either something that is building love and tenderness between you or it's something that is driving you apart. And I think what you're getting at there is the fact that that doesn't always have to do with how often you're having sex. It actually has more to do with how you're learning to respect each other, love each other, be vulnerable enough to say, for right now, this is a no and this is why. Uh, Mm -hmm. That is intimacy. You know, you might have said Mm -hmm. no to sex, but you're actually taking a step towards building true intimacy. And, you know, I think we link those two together all the time. Like if you're having sex, you must be intimate. But if you're having sex against your will or not sharing where you're wounded, then actually you can be having sex, but sabotaging intimacy. Yeah, or building up personal resentment in your own heart and just play acting. And, you know, I definitely have done that where I just thought, well, I'm supposed to do this, so I don't want to. So I will disassociate and go fly somewhere else and Mm -hmm. have this happen to me, which is not, you know, that's not intimate. That's just fulfilling Mm -hmm. a role that, you know, isn't great maybe for the other partner. But he doesn't, you know, my husband doesn't like that either. He likes me to be present. That's what it's all about. Yeah. So we've had to have some pretty frank discussions. And initially when we were first married, we just couldn't. I was too keyed up and and it was just too awkward and we just couldn't do it. But thankfully over the years, we've learned to have some frank discussions about it. Mary, what were some of the things that prompted you to be able to have those frank discussions throughout the journey? Because a a lot of married couples, they never do. Mm -hmm. Well, I think part of it was my healing journey of, you know, just years of being prayed for, going to counseling and all of that, and just wanting to be well. And so in wanting to be well, I had to, this was probably one of my most vulnerable spots. And So in order to be well, I knew personally for me as a verbal processor, I had to get it out of myself. I had to, and who better to do that with than the person I was going to be intimate with. Um, But it was like pulling painful teeth, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like abscess teeth pulling. Mm -hmm. It was so painful. And so I just wanted to like hide in a corner and not, you know, like, can you go over there and we can talk about this? I Mm -hmm. couldn't even look, you know, look at him in the face and not because of him, just I was just so petrified of talking about it. And um, so I think for me, it was this desire. And and two, I think as a, as one who's counseled other people, and I, I'm not a professional counselor or anything, um, but as one who's been a friend to several women who just simply don't have sex in marriage, they just don't. And I've been, I was so shocked by that. And so hurt, for them and for their spouse that I realized I didn't want that in my marriage. Mm -hmm. And sometimes other people can be really good cautionary tales. And a lot of these women have been sexually abused and they are like, I can't do it anymore. And I I believe there's another way. Mm -hmm. I believe there's a way to be healed. Um, But some, sometimes in your healing journey, you just shut down and you're like, I'm not growing anymore. And I just didn't want to do that. So Mm -hmm. I forced myself and asked the Lord to help me to have those conversations. Yeah, that takes a lot of courage, and it's good that you're able to learn from even where other people were stuck. 
Um, so if you were counseling someone, and in essence right now you are counseling those who are listening, <laughs> some are women uh, who can identify with your story, and we also have a lot of men that listen mm-hmm. to understand women, to understand their wives. What are some of those first steps? Like how do you go from either every time we have sex, I'm disassociating, I'm dreading it, or I'm avoiding it altogether, what are some of those first things that take courage that you can do either as a, a woman or even as a couple? Yeah, I think um, it always, like, I cannot change him. So it always had to start with me and what I was willing to do to change. And and so making that decision, I, I ended up writing a book and he actually wrote it with me and it's called not marked and it's for um people who have been sexually abused so why i did that is i I wrote about my own healing journey and then at the end of every chapter he writes a page or two about what it's like to be married to an abuse victim Mm -hmm. and i've had a lot of married couples say that has been so helpful for me because you know whichever it could be both people that were sexually abused or the husband that was sexually abused it doesn't have to always be the wife that's sexually abused Mm -hmm. but to read it from the other person's perspective. And my husband has no, none of that in his background at all. Um, and how he had to learn to be patient and how he had to learn, you know, ways not to trigger me. And I had to learn how to talk about things that did trigger me. And, and so that's kind of our gift to the struggling families out there, struggling marriages that are facing this particular issue. Um, And then I think, too, it's just a matter of prayer, uh, even being willing to pray together about that very sensitive subject. And sometimes you just need to bring in a counselor and work it out in front of a professional so that he or she can ask the kind of questions that you're just too uncomfortable to answer, just like bringing them up on your own. But if someone else is doing it for you, it kind of helps. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It really does make a difference. Hi, this is Julie, and I'm breaking into our conversation just for a second to let you know of an opportunity that you have if you're part of the Authentic Intimacy membership community. Uh, I recorded a separate uh, short podcast with Mary DeMuth on a different topic than what you're listening to right now. We talked about what to do when you've been wounded in the church, what to do when a fellow Christian has hurt you, and how to discern whether this is somebody who's just a dangerous person or if it's just somebody who is clumsy and sinful like the rest of us, and how do you restore that relationship? Uh, If you are part of the Authentic Intimacy membership community, you can find that content under members-only content on our website. And if you'd like to join our membership community, you can do that through our website as well. $88 a year or $8 a month, and it gives you access to additional material, all the archives of Job with Julie from the last three years, and it also is a way to just help us in our ministry. It supports things like Job with Julie. So back to our conversation with Mary DeMuth. Did you and your husband ever get to a point in this journey where you just wanted to give up, where it was too hard, it was too vulnerable, you just wanted to quit? Yes and no. Like, I think the, I think every marriage goes through those times. So uh, uh, it's just really normal. But we both have a really strong ethic of honoring our commitments and the covenant of marriage. And so in in one way, it's kind of that idea is thrown out the window. But in the other hand, emotionally, yes, of course. And it was especially hard for me 
when my youngest daughter or my oldest daughter reached five years old, which was the age I was when I was sexually abused, there's mm-hmm. something that just dredged up when that mm-hmm. happened. And I had to, you know, kind of do a lot more work on myself during that time because I had uh, very easily suppressed it for several years. And the other thing I think that prevented it is that in college where I was prayed for constantly by friends and God just did a miraculous work in my life. I, I kind of like wiped my hands of it all. And I was like, okay, um, henceforth I am now healed and I will never deal with this issue again that I can put that in a little box and shut that up. And so when it came roaring back, that's when things got really hard. Cause I was first, I was really mad at God cause I thought I had already declared that I was done. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't obey me and, <laughs> uh, it, you know, healing comes in layers and I thought all my layers were healed and there was like 25 other layers to expose. And so yeah. I was mad at God and I was also just feeling really in a, unable to perform, um, sexually because I was just so broken sexually. Mm-hmm. And so those, that was probably the darkest time. Mm. You know what you said right there, Um, There are a couple real keys that people are going to identify with. One of them is just this concept of layers of healing. And and we want to believe when we get through one layer that, you know, God has done his work. We're full, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, we're well, we can move on. And that disappointment and anger when you're like, really, God, we already did this. You know, Mm -hmm. you said you healed me. Why, you know, why I've been a Christian for a while why am I going through this again? And what you mentioned is is so common that there are certain triggers developmentally that can bring all this back up with with more fury. Uh, and often it is having children and it is watching our children go through um, the, the ages and stages where we experience trauma. Um, and mm-hmm. I hear that story all the time that a woman is able to function pretty well and then she hits her 30s or 40s mm-hmm. or something triggers and all of a sudden, she's dealing with memories that she's she thought were resolved. Um, so, what right. was that like for you? Like, what were some of the the intrusive kind of clues that God has more healing for me here? Well, yeah, because all the crying. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that was a clue. <laughs> and then, um, uh, just I think, gosh, that's a good question. Going through that, I think for me, it was more about grief. I had more grief to go through. I thought I had shut the door on the grief. And when you see your child at that age and you realize how small you were when that happened, Mm -hmm. um, I had a huge amount of grief. And I think the other thing that was hard in that situation was that I was doing okay up until that point. And so for my husband, it must've felt like rejection because Mm -hmm. even though it had nothing to do with him, he didn't, maybe I wasn't communicating that well enough and he didn't know. So he was like, what the heck is this? I thought you're okay. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like, yeah, I thought I was okay too. And we had to go back to, um, super communication, you know, just more, uh, it's almost like for us, when things are hard, we have to communicate four times as much and, uh, we have to open the floodgates of communication because things get better when there's more communication versus shutting down. Mm -hmm. And so I just had to do a lot more communicating and so did he. And that really helped us kind of get through that hump. Mm -hmm. Well, that's hard to do because probably your defense mechanisms were saying, I don't want to communicate at all. And then to work against that and go to super communication. And for him as well, a lot of people, a lot of guys in that situation would shut down or um, they'll say, I want my old wife back. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. what happened? Just can't you just get over this? 
and they don't have mm-hmm. the patience to really understand that this is a process. Uh, how long did it take you when those wounds were reopened and you were grieving? How long would you say that you felt like it kind of fell apart? Oh, gosh. I think that whole process was like two or three years. It was when my husband was in seminary and, uh, you know, we started to kind of come back together during that odyssey of seminary. But um, one thing that happened I thought was fascinating is when he was helping me write Not Marked, I said, well, here, you need to read The Wounded Heart. Um, Mm -hmm. This will help you understand me a little bit more. And so that's an advice I would give to anyone that has a spouse, you know, that is hurting this way. He was a different person after he finished that book. He was like, oh, I'm so sorry. He mm-hmm. he understood what I had gone through on a much deeper level. He realized that this was trauma and it's not just a matter of a decision like, okay, I am finally done with this or I, there, the want to is always there, but when it's trauma, there's all sorts of therapies that can be brought in and it's like a deep rut that's been dug into your soul that is not easily filled or changed. And so when he understood the pervasive difficulty of sexual abuse and what it does to a sexual abuse victim, particularly one that has had ongoing abuse, Mm -hmm. uh, he had so much more empathy and there was a huge leap forward. And I would say the other thing that really helped us during the time when things were hard was um, I always felt like I was the project and I was Mm -hmm. the one that was broken all the time. And I felt like he had everything together. And so we had like the saying that was really not good, but we laughed about it that he was perfect and I was yucky. Mm-hmm. And um, I did, cause I always felt like I was the messed up one and he was the okay one. And things started changing in our marriage when he was, he began to look at his own issues, which weren't really about this, but other things. And I just loved him so much more when he was vulnerable. And then suddenly we were both pilgrims on a journey and we both were messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it helped me to realize I wasn't the only one on this earth that struggles. Yeah. And if you're married to someone who makes the everyone struggles but makes the appearance that they don't you will feel crazy and you will feel like the broken one and they're the okay one and so one of the gifts a spouse of you know the other can do is to just to be vulnerable and say yeah I've struggled with things it may not be the same thing but I struggle and I have a hard time oh I just loved him more when he did that Mm. it helped me so much yeah that's great advice and I you know I think that applies not just to working through sexual abuse but Um, Like take, for example, a sexual addiction or pornography Mm -hmm. use, uh, or if there's been an infidelity, Mm -hmm. the person who is, uh, you know, quote unquote, the cause of the problem and trying to put things back together can feel so much like I'm the one who's running this. I'm the messy one. Mm -hmm. And the spouse can develop kind of the self-righteousness of, yeah, you're right. You are the messy one. You know, we were (laughs) fine before you did this or you brought this up or you fell apart. And, uh, you know, a real gift of love is to show that vulnerability and say, hey, I have different messes than you do, but I need Jesus just as much. Uh, And I have the same capacity, you know, to make bad choices and and to be weak. And that is a true gift. Yeah, it was it was a gift to me. And it's really um, I, I mean, it sounds kind of odd that, you know, when you admit your weakness, you endear yourself to your spouse, because there are some spouses out there that that would not endear 
they would just take advantage. And so there has to be some sort of level of intimacy there to be able to do that. Um, if you have an abusive spouse, then admitting your weakness and, in, you know, there could just end up getting you more hurt. So mm-hmm. there's boundary issues that go on with that as well. But, but if you have a, a loving, um, non-abusive spouse, uh, being able to admit those things and be honest like that is really going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. That's a good distinction. Um, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you have a wonderful wonderful husband who's journeyed with uh, with you through this. Uh, you also together have three adult children, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much of this have you shared with them? And what advice do you have in terms of how you share a family story appropriately, I mean, you know, without making it a big secret? Right. Yeah, that was one thing. I grew up in a home of secrets. And so I was determined not to have that, but also in an age appropriate way. So all of my kids know my story and they've been with me when I've spoken about it. So um, and also, of course, I told it to them in private. Um, And it was all based on what age they were and whether they asked questions about it or, you know, I just kind of let them lead on that. But now all three definitely know. And they know my, I'm, I'm grateful they know everything, uh, because then it makes it so that there's not some big secret in a family that no one talks about. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm really grateful, but you know, if you're a parent and you've got a story like this, or maybe your story is I was sexually promiscuous before marriage or, you know, any of those number of things that you don't want to share, but just be praying and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and to bring you to the place to share that in an appropriate way. And probably not all at once with all three or five or 10 kids that you have, but just an intimate, quiet moments, you know, with each one, according to their ability to hear it and their own maturity. So Mm -hmm. I guess that's how I would say Mm -hmm. that. And Mary, was your abuse growing up, was that um, within a family context? It was not. There was parts of it that was, but um, most of the sexual abuse was done by neighborhood teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, So unrelated to me, but my father was also a predator. So there was that issue going on as well. He was not living with me, but there was um, some things that I needed to work through later in life, definitely. Mm -hmm. And did that make it at all more complicated with sharing this with with your husband and with your kids? Did they have a relationship with your dad? He died when I was 10. So mm-hmm. it's very easy to share about it in that sense, because there's no way to have a relationship with him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it's it's tender and tricky. And, you know, I've been writing about I've tried to write a memoir about him and his issues. Um, and I wrote a novel about it that I'm shopping right now because it's just such a difficult story. And I'm like the girl that says everything. So his that story with him is a really hard story. Yeah, it, it's so complicated because then you have uh, you know, a mom involved and, you know, did she know what was happening and you have to forgive mm-hmm. her. And um, these kind of issues are, it's not just a one and done. I've dealt with it. it, it yeah, it really it's tangly. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And that's why it, it takes so long for the Lord to bring wholeness and, and redemption um, Mary, I know that God is using your story because you're sharing it with other people and mm-hmm. you're you're sharing what healing looks like and encouraging people on that journey. Um, and I think an important part of healing is understanding this concept of redemption. You know, that's a big mm-hmm. theological word that we throw around. But redemption means that God is able to take something that the enemy has meant for harm and he's able to to make it actually something that has good in it. 
How would you say that you've seen God redeem your story? I think part of that is just the emails that I receive all the time. And I I actually had to kind of take my contact information off my website because I was getting so many suicidal emails. So that Mm. was just really hard for me as a non-counselor to deal with. Um, but as people subscribe to my easy and then they have access to me that way. And so I've got this little tribe of 10,000 people that I minister to all the time. And so I hear from them and it's really heartening to hear that, you know, for me, it's, it comes down to two words. The two words are go first. And then the other two words I want to hear are me too. And so I, I believe God has called me to go first and to say these things so that someone else can say me too. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was writing my first, I, I wrote a parenting book called Building the Christian Family You Never Had. And that was the first time I shared my story publicly other than speaking. And I was terrified of sharing that story publicly. I mean, I was so petrified and scared and worried and, and, you know, what's this going to do? But, um, eventually that part of that one little chapter of that book that I wrote, uh, it gave me the bravery to keep going. And during that time, the Lord said, you know, I I felt God say to me, Mary, if everybody waits until their parents die to share their stories and the stories of redemption, then there will be no mentors for the next generation. Mm. And, you know, as as someone who coaches writers, um, I'm a mentor to writers, and I hear that all the time. And and I'm not going to prescribe and say to you, well, you better tell your story or not or else. But but so many of them come to me and they're saying, well, I'm just waiting for my mom to die, which is a really sad thing to say, like, yeah. hurry up and die, mom, so I can write this book. Mm. And and I understand that. And I would only have done what I did because the Lord told me to. And it did affect my relationship with my extended family on a very negative level. There are those verses that Jesus talks about in the New Testament of if you're a disciple, there's going to be people in your family that don't like you. Mm-hmm. And um, But even in that I, I want to encourage the listeners, even in that, even as I shared about my mom and all of the things that went on there, um, God has beautifully redeemed that story. Mm-hmm. And I never expected that to happen. I just kind of thought, well, Lord, I'm just going to follow you down whatever path you have. And I can't fix this problem. I can't fix this relationship. But he in the light of truth has been where the growth and the renewal has happened. Mm. But so many people are frightened to tell the truth. Yeah. Um, and that's what keeps those family secrets, you know, right. and the fear of what's going to happen if you're the first one to speak out. Right. Um, how has God redeemed the situation in your marriage? Um, you know, what would your marriage be like if you never had to go through the kind of healing that you went through together? And how can you see good coming out of it? Yeah, so he and I have had the opportunity to teach on this subject. And, you know, there's just not a lot of people willing these days, and not to praise us or anything, but just I don't see a lot of it happening where there's an abuse victim and a spouse of an abuse victim talking about sex. You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. a big deal in that sense. Um, And so in that way, a very practical way, we've had redemption in the way that we've been able to share our story. And then interpersonally, I just think we've grown deeper and deeper toward each other and our level of intimacy and communication is so much better than it ever has been. And so instead of growing apart, you know, when the kids leave home and all of those things that can happen, um, I believe we've grown together and we have bumps and bruises just like every couple. We are certainly not perfect and we have fights and all those Mm -hmm. things, but, (laughs) um, uh, but we're definitely 
a lot better about talking about these things. And I think mm-hmm. that's made a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say to the woman who um, has been through sexual abuse and who has just resolved that it's never going to be good? Uh, whether they're single or married, you know, they just have bought the belief or the lie that I'm forever damaged. I, I can never see this as a good thing or experience it as something that's a blessing. I would just say there's hope and don't close the door of hope. I think it's very common and simple to to slam that door shut and say, I will never be whole in this area. But that's making a declaration over your life. And that is actually putting you in the driver's seat instead of Jesus. And so my encouragement is just to surrender your sexuality to him, surrender your brokenness to him, tell him you're ticked off, tell him you're mad, tell him it hurts, tell him you don't want to have sex, tell him all the things that you are feeling. He already knows you have those things going on and really begin to press in instead of shutting doors to areas of your soul. Cause that's probably, I believe that Satan's greatest weapon against humanity is, is, um, sexual perversion mm-hmm. in any form. And whether that be in porn or uh, sex addiction or, you know, sexual mm-hmm. abuse or promiscuity before marriage or during marriage, uh, all of those sins and all of that temptation and all of that darkness really gets at our um, who we are and our identity. And I've I've just finally kind of come to the place where I believe that our identity is not our sexuality. It can never be. Mm-hmm. Whether you know whether you struggle with same sex attraction or what, that's not your identity. Mm-hmm. Your identity is as a child of God. And if that is your identity, then He, as your Father, your gentle, sweet, loving Father, is going to take you on a excruciatingly beautiful journey of healing and it it takes a lot of bravery to move into that journey but it is so worth it and I am completely changed because I said I surrender and I can't do this Amen Well, I certainly hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mary DeMuth. Uh, I love the fact that Mary is so real and so honest about her journey of healing. And I also love that her story is just like ours. And, you know, she seems like the kind of person that would live next door to you or go to your church that you just want to have coffee with. So it was a joy to be able to talk to her and have coffee with her today. Um, So if you want to follow up with Mary, uh, she mentioned some of the books that she's written. She also has a podcast. You can find her blog and her podcast and her resources at marydemuth.com. And we hope to have her again on Java with Julie. Mary's story is a reminder to me and a reminder to all of us that we live in a war zone here on planet Earth, uh, that there is a spiritual battle around us, and it takes effort to pursue the Lord and to pursue healing and to pursue His righteousness, and that's why we exist at Authentic Intimacy. We talk about difficult topics because we believe that God is in the midst of them and that He can bring truth and He can bring healing, and I certainly hope that our ministry is an encouragement to you, that the resources we provide like Java with Julie, uh, really just encourage you in your journey of seeking the Lord. You can check out some of our resources uh, like Surprised by the Healer, which is a book including nine stories of women who have been through different kinds of sexual brokenness and found the Lord in the midst of that. Uh, You can also find the Bible study Passion Pursuit, which I mentioned at the beginning of our program today at AuthenticIntimacy.com. I also want to say a thank you today to Steve Ryder and Jackie Roberts. These are the people behind the podcast job with Julie. You don't hear their voices, but they work on the production end and make this production sound great. 
And thanks to those who are regular givers to Authentic Intimacy, it's because of your generosity that we're able to continue this ministry. And every month we see our listenership grow, which is a huge encouragement. And I want to thank you for listening to Job with Julie and for praying for Authentic Intimacy and being a part of our community. I'm Dr. Julie Slattery. Hey, thanks so much for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone listening today that this episode has triggered. I pray that you would bring health from the ashes of pain, that you would rebuild what has been taken and stolen, that you would give perspective, a new perspective on the past story so that we can have a new story today. Thank you that you are walking alongside us, that you are that empathetic Savior who loves us so much and understands what it's like to be betrayed, to be lied to, to be broken. You walked that path when you walked this earth, and so you have great empathy for us. I'm so grateful for that, Jesus. Would you just help us all to receive from you what you want for us today? I know so, so many times I just, I get broken and I turn to myself or I turn to food or I turn to anything other than you because I want a quick fix. And you're not necessarily that quick fix, but you are ever available and ever present. And so help me to turn to you, help us to turn to you when things get dark and difficult. Jesus, just be near. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash four dash one, because this is season four, episode one, and may you live a brand new story this week. Hello, Mary, this is Michelle Ewell, um, Michelle at michelleyewell.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-U-L-E.com. I sent you a message earlier on LinkedIn telling you I was sure I had a restory to tell you, but I couldn't think of one at the moment. I took a walk and I have one very important one to share. I would rather just send you the chapter from my spiritual memoir, which is unpublished because I think you're a faster reader than listener, but here goes. It's a story that took place 30 years ago when I was a military wife and my husband was the chief engineer on the oldest submarine in the Atlantic Ocean. And for three years, I endured one catastrophe after another, piling on top of me in difficult ways. I got the prize brief with worst deployment, three deployments in a row, um, and I was against some pretty stiff competition. My husband eventually uh, rotated off the ship and went to postgraduate school. But all of the events that had happened to me during those years, despite going to a wonderful church and being in fellowship all those years, had built up to a pretty high level in my life. I gave birth to my third child when we were in Monterey two weeks later. My grandmother lost her mind on Saturday. My surrogate grandfather committed suicide on Sunday. And my mother-in-law, who was visiting to help with the baby, died of a heart attack on her way to the hospital. Those were just the, that that was the height of the worst weekend of my whole life, of course. But over those years, I had built up such a heavy grudge against a variety of things, and I was so very angry and so very bitter that my life was miserable. And my story about Restory is the long, horrible way that I got there, but then how God was finally able to speak truth into my life in a way that I could hear Him, where I could see Him, where I could begin to forgive the ways I had been harmed and release the anger and the bitterness in my soul. It's a pretty powerful story, and 
I am happy to share it and I have learned so much as a result of that over the last 30 years that I can I can ride things a little bit easier now than I ever could before. Um, military wives carry tend to carry bitterness. It's just part of the game, if you will. But they're not the only ones. Many, many women carry bitterness, some of which our husbands deserve, but most of which is something that comes out of our own brain, our own expectations of what we believe things, how things should go. 